Testing one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. I'm Ben McAdams, and I represent Utah's 4th Congressional District. Before I was elected last November, I was the mayor of Salt Lake County. It's my belief that Washington might work better if we thought about governing the country the way mayors approach leading their communities. In this podcast, I'm hoping to show you what being a member of Congress is really like, and whether it's possible to run this country the way we run our local governments. Welcome to a special episode of Washington. In this episode, Congressman Ben McAdams is going to discuss his first 100 days in office, his bipartisan roots, and how a college course changed his career path. This episode was recorded in front of a live studio audience at KSL Broadcast House. Welcome to Washington. Congressman, it's good to be with you. You too, Jason. Thanks for spending a few minutes talking about some things that have been happening for you since you have taken this office. Uh, we have a lot to get into. I want to talk about some of the hallmarks of the great Congressman McAdams, and that's your ability to reach across the aisle. But to lead into that part of the discussion, I know a little bit about your past, because it's connected to the Hinckley Institute of Politics, right? Not many people know you're an electrical engineer student at the University of Utah, and you got your start, really, in a class you were taking from Dan Jones. Take a second, talk about that experience and how it kind of started your your rise. So I, I was an electrical engineering student until I took the class uh, with Dan Jones. Political Science 101. It was winter semester, winter quarter at the time. Uh, and Dan told us all that we had to watch the inauguration. It was, this would have been 1997, Clinton's second inauguration. Mm-hmm. And Dan mm-hmm. said, I want you all to watch it. Uh, it was in a, I think this was on a Thursday, next Tuesday or whenever it was. And uh, I'm coming to report back on it. And I'm sitting next to my buddy from high school who um, leaned up. He worked, uh, we both worked at the airport. I, I loaded freight and he was loading baggage. So one of his perks, he worked for Delta. And he said, uh, I can get us a buddy pass. We could go to the inauguration. So um, we did. Like later that afternoon, we jumped on a flight to Washington, D.C. No place to stay or anything. And, uh, and went to the inauguration. And it was a really cool experience. Um, you know, I thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime chance to go to Washington. We were there for two or three days, um, went to the inauguration. I came back and was hooked. And, uh, and then went and did a, a Hinckley internship in the White House. Came back from that, did an internship at the state legislature, and, um, and soon thereafter left that engineering degree. Yes. We had you after that yeah. point, didn't we? Yeah. Hinkley had you for life, yeah. which I'm happy about. <laughs> hey, before we leave that, that really great story, I want to talk about that friend that yeah. you talked about. Because okay. that friend does not share your political affiliation. No, he's, he's a Republican. So Yeah, we'll talk about that because you okay, both yeah. have a significant role at the U. So we're getting to bipartisanship here. Yeah, uh, the, so you've done your homework on this. This friend of mine, Brett Humphrey, was, uh, like I said, friend from high school. He's a Republican. Um, we started getting involved with Hinckley, coming to the Hinckley Institute forums and whatnot. And uh, he, I, I got involved with the College Democrats. I was recruited to the College Democrats by Charlie Luke, who's on the Salt Lake mm-hmm. City Council now. Um, my friend got involved with the College Republicans. We both became, I became president of the College Democrats. He was the president of the College Republicans. And so we started doing a lot of things together. We would do joint fundraisers, joint events. We would... Um, our fundraiser, we, we sold umbrellas at the, at the football game to raise money for different things for the college Republicans, college Democrats. But we became, so the or, both organizations, we met together all the time. It was forums, 
uh, that we did together. And it was just about dialogue and, yeah. and engaging people. And uh, we would table together. We'd do voter registration together. It was a fun time. Well, I think that maybe was the last time the Republicans and the Democrats both held fundraisers together yeah. on campus, <laughs> which leads to this idea. I mean, t- tell me how that worked and how that kind of set the stage for your approach, because you're known for this, yeah. Uh, yeah. reaching across the aisle. Tell, you know, it's kind of you know, what you felt about this and how you've kept that going as you become uh, first mayor and now congressman. Yeah, yeah, you know, this friend of mine, Brett, we would talk, we would spend hours, you know, he was in Dan Jones's class with me. And so we would spend hours talking politics of the day and various issues. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think it's probably where I really, I had a point of view, but he had a, a point of view that was really interesting. And I felt, mm-hmm. you know, we'd, we'd read stuff and we'd share articles and we'd talk about it. And I always felt, I always came away from those conversations, I think, with a deeper understanding uh, and enlightened perspective. I, sometimes I changed my point of view, but sometimes I didn't. But I always felt that, that my dialogue was enriched by having this conversation with him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, um, there were, we'd volunteer on campaigns and, you know, I'd be on one side, he'd be on the other. Sometimes we'd actually just go to each other's campaigns just it was just about the experience as much as anything and um it probably was uh you know when i started becoming politically aware but in a context where my best friend had was leading the other side the opposition and um you know i think i came to see that there are good people on both sides his motives were the same as mine which is cares about this country cares about our community wants to see us do well and um, i realized that somebody can have a different perspective and that doesn't mean their values are different than mine it's a very good perspective. Let me ask, uh, 100 days in office for you. Have you, been see- have you seen that replicated in your experience in Washington, D.C.? Uh, great. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've said that I, I think Congress is, you know, I, I, Congress has a really bad reputation. And, and when I came in and found it worse than uh, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, but I also will say I found it better than I thought. So on some of the big issues of the day, uh, it's really frustrating, I think, that there is, is no dialogue mm-hmm. um, and there's no cross-party conversations. There are conversations. I have, I have friends on the other side that I've developed and we talk about things, but um, there seems to be no constructive working together to find solutions to this. On the big issues of the day, they're like, next to the big issues of the day, actually there's quite a bit of conversation, collaboration, we work together. So... You know, I think that's good and bad. There, there is bipartisanship, people working together to get stuff done on the stuff the American people really care about, not so much. Well, to explain to us why you think that's the case and what you've observed so far. You know, I think both parties, uh, I would blame both parties. I think both parties um, are, are so invested in the next election, and there's always a next election. Mm-hmm. They're so invested in the next election and what the issue is, what, what issue will determine the next election. They don't want to give a win to the other side. Uh, you know, I saw President Trump had a tweet a while ago, uh, a few weeks ago, about health care. And he said, we're, Republicans are going to have the best health care plan ever, and, the, and we'll make the Democrats look bad, something to that effect. And I thought, if success, and it's not just President Trump, I think both sides do this. If we define success as making the other side look bad, mm-hmm. how do you ever have an agreement? You know, and, unless you're willing to say, we're all going to look good, because what's happening is we all look bad. We're either going to all look good and we're going to have an agreement that um, we come together on. And, um, and yeah, the, the other side might get some credit. We might get some credit. They're going to campaign on it. We're going to campaign on it. We're going to have some solutions. That's, that's what you need. But I think both sides kind of define success as if you lose, we win. Uh, it, it does seem like it's almost a zero-sum game. And maybe there's no particular benefit to reaching across the aisle. Yeah. But, but you've needed to a couple of times. 
already yeah. in, in office. Talk about a couple of those uh, things that you've done, even with our own delegation from Utah. Well, I think, um, you know, uh, the best training ground for learning to work across the aisle, I was a Democrat in the Utah legislature. Mm-hmm. You know, there were five of us to 24 Republicans. And if you want to get something done, if you want to do more than just complain, uh, if you want to get something done, you've got to build relationships. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I would say my success when I was in the state Senate was because I never got invited to, I never turned down an invitation to a barbecue or, you know, to go and grab a yeah. Diet Coke after work or something like that from a Republican because I knew that I needed that. Yeah. Bipartisan policymaking I think follows bipartisan relationships. Uh-huh. And so building those relationships are important. I, um, you know, coming into Congress, um, have a, a, a long relationship with, with John Curtis. He was mayor of Provo at the time that I worked in local government, was mayor of Salt Lake County. And so we've developed a, a, a good relationship and we, we talk frequently. Now we're, we're oftentimes not going to agree, um, but um, oftentimes we are going to agree and, and we've had some time to work on that. One issue, uh, this isn't with Congressman Curtis, but on my committee, we're working on this issue relating to um, creating a loophole for the banking industry with medical marijuana. So 47 states have legalized marijuana in one form or another, but federally it's still illegal. So a bank can't finance payroll for a dispensary, a a dispensary that's legal under state law. A bank won't finance it. They won't finance payroll. They won't finance construction of a facility. And uh, the state of Utah has asked us to fix this. You know, we don't want a cash business. Uh, That's dangerous. That has a, you know, whole... In fact, you could listen to a whole episode of this if you want to go to Washington. <laughs> um, episode three, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Must. Must. Yeah. It's a must. Must it's hear. Must hear. Yes. Um, but it's a, it was a it was really that we, this was my first committee meeting and uh, it was a really good conversation. Republicans and Democrats pointing out concerns, pointing out uh, ways to fix it. The bill actually passed out of committee with strong bipartisan support mm-hmm. on its way to the House floor. I, I think that we're gonna find a way to address this and it's going to be responsible policymaking and it's, it's going to be better because both sides were contributing to the legislation. I'm kind of curious about how you're getting to the both sides because let me just talk about Utah for you because yeah. our, our sole Democrat representing Utah in Washington, D.C., how are you finding the line where you're not uh, kind of distrusted by both sides, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for your Democratic colleagues there, they're expecting a certain thing out of you and but there's a sort of a Utah approach you're going to have to take. How, how are you finding that line? You know, I, well, first of all, I, I say that if you're, you're going to run for office as a Democrat in Utah, you, like, requirement number one is to be hopelessly optimistic, right? And naively optimistic, maybe. And so that's part of my DNA is to just always see the upside to something. And um, so, you know, in Congress, you know, I, I'm going to call the shots how I see them. I'm going to vote my district. My district is not a liberal district. My district is a Republican district mm-hmm. that happened to elect a Democrat, probably based on this reputation of being somebody who works across the aisle. And so um, I, um, at one point, so I've cast a handful of votes with the Republicans. Um, not a handful, a lot of votes with the Republicans. And um, I had one of my colleagues in Congress come to me and say, you know, for the sake of party unity, um, you really should vote more with the mm-hmm. Democrats. And I said, well, okay, so, you know, um, party unity, let's just talk about that. Party unity is actually not a value of mine. <laughs> I don't think that the country is better off with party unity. I don't think my district is better off with party unity. So uh, we're just speaking different languages here. But if party unity, so it's not important to me, to this party unity concept. But if party unity is important to you, um, 
you can vote with me, you know, and we can have party unity if you want to vote how, and, and mirror your votes to mine. Um, but, you know, I think it's just, you know, I am going to be true to my district that I was elected to represent, mm-hmm. true to my conscience. Uh, and, um, you know, that will put me at odds oftentimes with my own party. It'll put me, um, you know, neither, you know, I'm not going to be loyal to the Republican Party nor loyal to the Democratic Party. I think I hope that people will look at my votes and say that I was loyal to the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. One of the things you did, uh, I'm trying to think of, it might have even been right as you came in office, was you, be, you kind of mm-hmm. signed up with the Blue Dog Democrats, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You did that. Uh, explain what it is and yeah. why you decided to join that group. So the Blue Dog Democrats is a, is a caucus within the Democratic uh, part of Congress that is uh, you know, really two principles that we advocate for and we kind of hold, hold together on. Um, it's fiscal responsibility mm-hmm. and, um, and national defense. And um, it's it, those commonalities. So it, it, Blue Dogs are 27 Democrats who are uh, like-minded. They are often more um, mainstream, moderate Democrats like myself. And that's, you know, I've really enjoyed my... Um, I joined, honestly, I joined, Jim Matheson was a Blue yeah, Dog right. Democrat. And former he kind Utah of, yeah, former, yeah, former Congressman Jim Matheson. Um, I, I, he's so well-respected in the state. And, you know, and so I joined because of his alliance with the Blue Dog Democrats. But I will tell you, I think it's been one of the most, um, one of the best things that I've done because I'm able to, you know, I don't necessarily feel alone. There are other people in Congress who, who share my point of view, who when I'm, thinking through an issue and I want to bounce it off somebody, I'll go to Abigail Spamberger or Mikey Sherrill, um, other Blue Dog Democrats, and say, how, how are you thinking about this? Tell me. And usually it um, reaffirms kind of my instincts on an issue. And so it's good to have, um, have people who, who see things similar to, similarly to the way I do. How, did, how do you think that helps you as a candidate in the state, too? I mean, is, does, a, does a Democrat to survive, just like Matheson, really need to be part of a group like this, which kind of shows some more of a moderate tendency? Yeah, I think, I mean, this district, um, yeah, I think people respect, this district, the, the largest affiliation in this district is independent. Uh, and so I think people want to see somebody who's going to be independent-minded and, and look at the issues on a case-by-case basis, not hand over our vote to, yeah. a, to a political party or to leadership, but look at each issue individually and assess whether uh, it's going to be good or bad for the state of Utah. Okay. Uh, I want to pick up a thread that you talked about, uh, about your experience as a mayor. So, I, of course, I, I knew you were a member uh, you know, in, in our, our state legislature as well. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if you know this number. There are 34 members of the House that are former mayors. I did not know that. Really. That's plenty. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious. We talk about the states. You know, all governors sometimes say this. Remember, the states are the, you've heard it, laboratories of democracy, right? Yeah. This is where all that stuff. Tell, tell, tell us why your experience as a mayor and maybe it's these other ones that you're working with has made you uh, even maybe more effective as a member of Congress. So, you know, I, I look at, so John Curtis and I have a, have a good friendship, right? And um, he, he was a mayor. And we talk about this sometime. I think there's just, uh, there's something about being a mayor where our problems can't wait till the next election. We can't, we can't play this long game of setting up our opponents and then waiting them out, trying to embarrass them so we have some tricks to use against them in the next election. As a mayor, you've got, you've got minutes and sometimes days to make yeah. decisions on things. You know, you've got to get the snow plowed. You've got to cut the grass in the parks. You've got to balance the budget. All of those things, you know, if, if it snowed heavily one year and you've got to balance your budget, where are you going to... And so you had to pay extra to clear snow off the roads. What are you going to do about your parks? 
and you're always adapting and you got to work with people. You got to work with people who disagree with you, people sometimes who are hard to work with. You got to figure that out. And so there's just something maybe in the DNA or the training of a mayor that is very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I consider myself a moderate, but I think the other word that I use to describe myself is pragmatic. I think you can be conservative and pragmatic. You can be liberal and pragmatic. I, I consider myself a moderate but pragmatic. But there's something about just willing to um, say, okay, here's, here's my position, but look, I'll take 80% of what I want mm-hmm. if we can get it done um, versus, you know, I think there are a lot of people who say, I want 100%. I will take nothing if I can't get 100%. And what we're getting in this country right now is nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing is getting done because you've got some of these purists on both sides who aren't willing to... Uh, well, aren't willing to you know work and to see if, see something from the perspective of somebody else to and ultimately just cut a deal and um, I think you know I think it's that pragmatic the diversity of opinion in a democracy and willingness to listen to somebody else mm-hmm. and then and then come together for the greater good that's what's made us a great country I think that's what's lacking right now my uh, my next door neighbor in in my office in Congress is Greg Stanton. Greg was the mayor of Phoenix. And so I'm, I'm trying to seek out these yeah. local government leaders in Congress because there is just something about a mayor that is refreshingly pragmatic and, uh, and impatient maybe yeah. is, is also another word to describe mayors. We want to get it done. We're, we don't want to sit and have committee meetings for four years before we come forward with yeah. a recommendation to have a study. You know, we just want to get it done. Yeah. And um, I, think, I think that um, really is something, you know, you kind of think of, you know, Salt Lake County, we're pretty small in the grand scheme of the United States of America or Provo or Phoenix. Um, but I think there's, I wouldn't write off this experience or perspective of local government. Uh-huh. There's not a lot of pacing yourself like you do no. as a yeah. government, is there? Yeah. You just got to run. And you do it all. You know, you don't say, well, I'm, you know, you don't single track anything. It's like, yeah. I got to cut the grass, build a new park. Uh, you know, attract new businesses and all of that. And we're going to do it all. Okay. In the last couple of minutes, I just want to hit this, uh, another point that you just made here, but it's with a little bit of a quote from Arthur Brooks. Okay. I want yeah. to see it because, you yeah. know, you do this, this, both sides of this. Tell me what you think about this idea. He said that contempt in American politics is based on a mistaken assumption that there is no room for common ground. Uh, so there is no reason not to polarize with insults. Yeah. Kind of curious about that idea. I mean, what, where is the middle ground? Is that true? Is there even a place for it in Washington, D.C. right now? What is the prize for I, finding I it? hope so. So I'm going to tell you experience, another experience as mayor. So um, you know, I talked about pragmatism and willing to just cut a deal and get 80% of what you yeah. want. That, I think, is important. But there's something else, and that is um, coalescing, which isn't cutting a deal but is actually seeing somebody else's point of view and agreeing with them. So when I was mayor, I, I, actually, I formed a close relationship with Speaker Greg Hughes. He's a conservative Republican. He was the first elected official in the state of Utah to endorse President Trump. Mm-hmm. I did not endorse President Trump. Um, but we were working on this homelessness issue, right? And Operation Rio Grande and all of that. Right. So Greg Hughes um, comes to me and he says, it is outrageous that people are using and dealing drugs on the streets of our downtown. People don't feel safe. We need to arrest these people and, and lock them up. And, you know, and I think, I'm going to maybe oversimplify a little bit because the conversation was a lot more nuanced. Than this, but that was a very stereotypical conservative Republican approach that we're, you broke the law, we're going to put you in jail, and you're never going to see the light of day again. And I said to Greg, because we had this friendship already, um, I said, Greg, you can lock them up, but you're not going to keep them for more than a couple of weeks. Like, they have constitutional rights, you know, they're going to be out. Um, 
back out into society and what you've done is taken them off the, off the street for a week and they're back. If you, and, and you've spent millions of dollars to do this and, and not really done nothing. And I said, we, let's get people into treatment. We've got to expand treatment options. If you really want to um, change it for the long term, you've got to have treatment, which is, again, a little bit of an oversimplification, but that's the stereotypical yeah. democratic response. Feel sorry for these people and get them into treatment and that. And what ultimately came out of it, like we debated back and forth on this for weeks. And um, at the time, I actually, I, I agreed with Greg. It's outrageous that people are breaking the law that you can't walk down the streets of our, our downtown and feel safe. And businesses are going out of business because patrons don't feel comfortable coming. That is outrageous and that is intolerable. And we should do something about that. And Greg was right. And Greg came to my point of view and said, yeah, but just locking them up is really not going to solve the problem. So what came out of that was Operation Rio Grande, which was, yes, it was a law enforcement operation where... Um, we arrested people and we took them to jail. Uh, but instead of saying you're going to stay here and never see the light of day, we said we've eliminated the wait list for treatment. If you, if you are ready to turn your life around, there's a bed ready for yeah. you right now. And we got hundreds of people to take that treatment option. And I think the, the policy that was mo- moved forward, it was neither Greg's Republican philosophy or my Democratic philosophy. It was a hybrid of the two. And I didn't compromise with Greg. I agreed with Greg. And Greg didn't compromise with me. He agreed with me. And we, we endorsed fully what went forward, mutual endorsement. And I think it was better. And I think it worked. And I don't know that his approach wouldn't have worked. I don't know that my approach would have worked in a silo. Um, that's what's missing in Washington is actually, and getting to the Arthur Brooks quote, listening with the goal of realizing that some, a different opinion may be the right opinion um, and I'm going to listen and find something good right. and, uh, and modify my approach. Very good, very insightful comments. Thank you very much for the conversation. Yeah, thank you. I want to thank you for listening to Washington. What I'd really love to hear is from you. To follow this journey, subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the KSL Radio app, and anywhere you find interesting podcasts. To be part of this experiment in making the world's most powerful city responsive to citizens, please email me at tips at loudmouthproject.com. We'd like to thank the village that made this podcast possible. Andrea Smarden, Josh Tilton, Cheryl Worsley, Allison Heron, Natalie Tippetts, Jason Perry, and of course, Congressman Ben McAdams. We'd also like to thank all of our listeners who showed up at the live event to support us. We'll be having other live events for this podcast and some of our others. And if you'd like to keep track of those and be the first to be notified, please go to our website, loudmouthproject.com, and sign up for emails. Washington is a production of the Loudmouth Project.